but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That is 1 Peter 3.15. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another installment of Thinking Well Podcast. I'm Kyle. And I'm Tom. What's up, Tom? What's going on, Kyle? Finally got my voice back to normal, and I don't feel like garbage. That's good, so, man. Praise the Lord, because I don't know what it was, but it was the absolute worst. Just hung out forever. It's still not completely gone, but like, you can definitely, I don't know, there's something like, when you're getting like rid of a sickness or you're kind of mm-hmm. getting over it, you're like, I feel mostly back normal. Yeah. It's not inhibiting me as much as it was, but... Uh, Your voice doesn't quite have that nice, smooth baritone to it yet. It's not back yet, but it's almost there. Yeah, it's a little rough. Yeah. It's a little rough, but I'm glad to be through it. It was... A brutal, like, two weeks straight. Um, but uh, it's, been, it's, been a, it's been, uh, been a week. It's been a week. Yeah. How about you, man? How's it going? Well, man, by the time this episode airs, I'm going to be a day away from walking my daughter down the aisle. So I'm pretty excited about that. It's awesome, man. Congratulations. Um, yeah, we got a ton of people coming in for the for the wedding and everything. And uh, just a really exciting time, man. Like, yeah. it's just, it's super cool. Um, yeah, that's like, that's pretty much the only thing on my mind at this point. You guys getting ready, getting stuff. Are you guys basically there? You think? At yeah, this point? I mean, I think we're pretty much there. There's a lot of stuff that, uh, we'll probably, I mean, I could see us going over and helping with some stuff tomorrow. Just she's doing a lot of the decorations and stuff herself. And so I know she's had some of her friends come out and help with putting stuff together. Um, so there's just like last minute things that we need to tighten up. And then obviously the Friday before we're going to be going and helping to set up everything and get everything decorated. So doing a lot of it ourselves, which is a huge money saver. So I'm glad that I'm glad that she, uh, kind of has that mentality of like, let's do what we, what we can ourselves and not get into definitely better than the other side of that. And and I just want somebody to pay for it all. Destination wedding. um, Let's go. (laughs) Well, actually the destination wedding probably would have been cheaper, but we tried to argue for it and she wasn't having any because she's like, well, then our whole family can't be there. And I was like, exactly. <laughs> Not wrong. But I, it'll be cool. Um, it's exciting, look, man. I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, her future father-in-law is officiating the wedding. So that's kind of cool. That is cool. Um, but it, It'll be uh, once she's married, you're. That's it. You're done. That's it. No more. No more kids left to be in my responsibility. You're done. Like, you just, nope. You said I do. She's you all can yours. Just wipe your hands clean yeah. of all of that. Yeah. It, it, so, as as a father, though, it feels like, hey, wow, we made it. I, I, we did okay. Like, I, you know, yeah. like I, I can look at Crystal and be like, hey, you know what? We we did okay. Both of our kids got there. Like, they're married. Ah, they're contributing to society. Yeah. Great feeling. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I'm happy for you. It's uh, a little further down the road for me. but Oh, uh, yeah. You've got a ways to go. Enjoy the young times. And then when you when they get older, enjoy the older times. There you go. <laughs> That's exciting. It's an exciting time. Well, let's dive into it. Okay. What are we talking about today, Tom? So there... 
it's kind of an apologetics episode, right? Um, I, I would say that it is an apologetics episode, but from a different perspective, I think, than has ever really been had ever really been presented to me. Um, and when we started talking about this topic here, actually, I think it's been on our docket for since the very beginning, if I'm if I'm if I remember correctly, yeah, definitely a re- reoccurring yeah. theme. Yeah, um, and we may have discussed certain points of, of it at at different points in time. I know when when Ryan was here, when we did kind of an apologetics episode with him, I, I brought up a little bit. But uh, I'd really we really wanted to talk about this book by uh, Gregory Kokel, and the name of it is Tactics, and the kind of blurb on the front of it is a game plan for discussing your Christian convictions. And so there's a, when I was first handed this book, actually Ty Hirsch turned me on to this oh, book. Yeah? yeah. He was like, Oh man, you got to read this book. It's just really fantastic. And I was like, okay. There you go. So, um, that's how long he's been a part of my life. Um, uh, but I, I, I grabbed it because he recommended it to me and I started reading it and it was just, it was such a revelation to me. Um, because from a witnessing perspective, he kind of presents a different approach to Christians witnessing. Because I know classically, as as independent Baptists, one of the thing, one of the ways that I was brought up in witnessing was um present the gospel, right? Like, and from an apologetics perspective, it's always us justifying or arguing for what we believe in. And this came up in the episode with, with Ryan, your dad is we don't really have to justify our, where we're at and what we believe. The burden of proof lays with the person making the statement. So if we're the one that's starting off with the statement, then we just assumed the burden of proof. And one of the things that, uh, Greg does in his book, and I, I don't personally know the man. I, if he were to ever listen to this and hear it, um, I appreciate the contribution that you've made to um, Christians, me specifically. Uh, we'll put a link uh, to the book in, in the posting with the podcast. But uh, he really, his his goal in writing the book was to emulate some of the ways that Christ used, right? If you'll notice a lot of the times that Christ was presenting himself as God and uh, some of the things that he said when, when the, when the Pharisees came to him and they said, well, who, and they, and they were like, who should we, should we pay taxes? Is it a good thing to pay taxes? And what does he do? Right. He doesn't say, well, of course it's good that you should pay taxes, but I want you to know that you should also listen to God and God should be the most important thing. Right. No. What does he do? He asks a question, right? Right. right. He's like, who's got a coin? Who's got a coin? And they were like, oh, he, you know, one of the disciples handed him a coin and he takes the coin and he's like, Who's, whose inscription is on the coin? Yeah. And they were like, well, Caesar. And so automatically he's, he's not answering their question, but he's leading them to the answer that he wants them to get to. Right. It's so funny. Like you see that pattern from Christ, right? Yeah. Where he doesn't necessarily, especially to the Pharisees and Sadducees, but he doesn't directly answer them often. He often gives some yeah. kind of parable or just kind of, and it's kind of funny because we've talked about this before and this is kind of a sidebar, but I really do think that that Jesus had a really good sense of humor because he is constantly 
like turning the script around. He's constantly yeah. kind of putting them in their place with a little bit of sarcasm. You can kind of read it in, even in the King James like you you can read it and say like Jesus, you had you have I think you have a little bit of sarcasm here, but yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. <clears throat> he uh yeah, d- he doesn't answer it directly. He he shows them an example of what he's talking about um and that's where you have the the famous verse, you know, give give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Um, where he directly says, "Hey, like you need to respect local authority, right?" Um, so I, he takes that approach, and he he brings up a, a bunch of different sections where uh, he gives examples of like Christ said this and Christ said this, and examples of where Paul even does it, where he doesn't Paul doesn't argue, and he does it a lot with when he's when he has uh, when he's addressing a Greek audience, he doesn't use the typical hit like Hebrew um, chiastic um, argument where they like lead up to a point and then they lead away from the same point in the opposite direction. That, that's, a, that's the very Hebrew thing. And that just goes to show Paul's intellect, right? The fact that he right. was able to argue on all those fronts, like you could put Paul in front of anybody and he leaned into the Holy Spirit to allow him to select the right way to approach the subject. Right. And I think that's why he does it so so deftly when he writes his letters. But Paul did it quite a bit, too, where he would ask questions. He's like, well, weren't some of you like them? Yep. You know what I mean? And he's, he's, he's stirring up. It's, it's stirring up this thought process. And I'm going to I'm going to read a portion of it to kind of get us started in the example and it's one of the opening examples that he uses in his book and it's the introduction to like how he uses these tactics to lead people to not necessarily make a decision and we'll we'll get to that cuz one of the thing he points out is like a lot of times when we witness we witness with the express goal of getting someone to make a decision right then and there it want that close yeah yeah like that that's not. It's not our job. Yeah. I mean, I mean hallelujah, if, if that happens. Right, right. But it's not our job but, to save people. I mean, yeah. statistically, the likelihood of that happening is less than one percent. Right. So, it's this part in the book. Um, it's it, it begins. It, it's called the Witch in Wisconsin, right? And he's talking about where he was on vacation, and he comes to this. Uh, they stopped at this one-hour photo in town, and he noticed that the woman helping them had a large pentagram pendant on her necklace and so he asks right he doesn't immediately call out that it's a pentagram and that it's pagan and anything like that right he says does that star have religious significance or is it just jewelry and she says oh yeah it has religious significance the five points stand for earth wind fire water and spirit and then she states i'm a pagan so his wife was caught off guard by the fact that she's just blatantly saying that she's a pagan, right? And um, she, she laughs. His wife laughs. And she's like, oh, so I didn't mean to be rude. It's just that I've never heard anyone actually admit right out that they were pagan, right? Um, so he asks the lady, he's like, well, are you a Wiccan then? And she's like, yeah, I'm a witch, it's an earth religions like Native Americans. We respect all life. So he, he, he count again. He, he doesn't make any assumptions, right? Yeah. He asks a question. He's like, well, if you respect all life, then you're probably pro-life on the abortion issue. Right. And she answers, well, no, I'm pro-choice. 
and he, so he, he he just keeps asking questions, right? Isn't that an unusual position for someone in Wicca to take? I mean, since you're committed to respecting all life. And she, then she, she's like, you're right. That is a little odd. And she's like, she's like, well, I could never do that, but I could, I could never kill a baby, but I wouldn't do anything to hurt anyone else that, because it might come back on me. So already she's, she's coming to a point where she's contradicting herself and he hasn't made a single statement yet. And he keeps going and from, because she used the the phrase like kill a baby, right? He automatically like drops the abortion word and starts talking to, and he turns it to, to the focus of baby killing instead, right? And he says, well, if you wouldn't want to do anything to hurt a baby, but other people would, shouldn't we do something to stop them from killing babies? And she's like, well, I think women should have a choice. And now what he says is like, generally like statements that women should have a choice are kind of meaningless. It's like the statement, well, I have a right to take blah, 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 right? Or uh, choose what? Take what? I, right. it, I have those right. I have the right to choose all of yeah, those things. Finish, finish the yeah. sentence. Yeah. Um, but she didn't put all that... One of the things that she had identified is that abortion was baby killing to her, mm. but yet she admittedly said that she was pro-choice, but she didn't, she wasn't comfortable forcing the way that she defined it on other people. So this is, this is what he does. He's like, so do you mean that women should have the choice to kill their own babies? And then she answers and she th thinks for a moment. She's like, well, I think all things should be taken into consideration when you come, when we talk about this question. And he's like, okay, what kind of considerations would make it okay to kill a baby? And immediately she answers, well, incest. And he's like, okay, well, let me see if I understand this correctly. Let's say I had a two-year-old child standing next to me who had been conceived as a result of incest. On your view, it seems I should have the liberty to kill her. Is that right? And she had no answer, right? She had nothing. And finally, she answers like, I, I have mixed feelings about that. So what happens is he just kind of has to work away from it, right? Because there were people in line behind him. And this wasn't probably a, that he to continue the situation would be uh, very counterintuitive at that point in time. Right, because right. he had already, she had confused herself enough just with his questions. Probably not the right environment. Yeah, yeah. that he knew that he wasn't going to get anywhere else, right? But one of the things that I think is great is that he points out from that encounter is the entire time he didn't attack her. The entire time she didn't attack him. He used her own verbiage and vernacular to reframe his questions in a way that she had already stated. Right. Well, that's the key, right? Everything he asked was just that. It was a question. Yep. Everything. There was no actual statement or declarative remark or, or hey, the Bible says this. or And there, there was nothing. He was just challenging her yeah. on her vernacular. Yep. It was everything had a question mark on the end of it. Very open ended, very non hostile. Yeah. I, I liked I, I when I got to that I was And yeah. so it was it was when I first started reading this, it was very like eye opening for me, like, wait, you can witness like that? 
like you can just ask questions because typically when 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 I get into like sharing the gospel mode, I expect for the questions to be hurled at me. You you expect to be on the defense, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it it every most of the time that I've engaged in sharing the gospel with people, it's been me explaining through justification and Bible knowledge, which we should use. Don't get me wrong. Right. But we, sh- we don't start with Bible knowledge. You have to open that door. You have to establish trust with a person. Right. And one of the best ways to establish trust with a person is to get to know them, to find out more about them. Because it's really easy for me to sit in a conversation and just talk about myself, talk about myself, talk about myself. And really, as Christians, when we're sharing the gospel in that manner, what we're doing is we're talking about our beliefs. What we're doing is we're talking about how we have been convinced that the Bible is true and that God is real and that Jesus Christ died for us. But how? But to get to that point, there has to be some trust established. You have to establish that like you're interested in that person. So what he does in this book is he starts going through and he presents the different ways that he asks those questions. Um, so some of the people who listen to this may know who Columbo is. Some may not, but uh, he explains that Columbo is an old detective from an old TV show played by Peter Falk. And what this detective did is he'd come to a crime scene and he'd just continually ask questions. He'd act like an idiot and he'd be like, so let me get this straight. Let me understand this correctly. So what you're saying is, and he never actually made an accusation and he let the people trap themselves. Um, it was actually a pretty funny show. It probably wouldn't hold up today, but if they if they redid it and did it with the right people, it would probably be super cool. But what he does is he's, he gives these tactics. I'm going to go through and just kind of highlight real quick the different chapters, and then we'll just kind of pick some stuff out of here and talk about some things that I thought were were really key and important in it. Um, and then if you're if you're interested in the book or um, you'd like to know where you can get the book again, we'll, we'll post some stuff that you can pull that out of if I can find. Here we go. So he goes into um, part one, the game plan, and it talks about uh, diplomacy, our reservations in sharing the gospel. Uh, he talks about introducing the, what he calls the Colombo tactic, uh, the second step of the Colombo tactic, the third, and then how we perfect those things. And then in part two, he explains how we use those tactics to uh, find flaws in people's arguments. He talks about um, views that self-destruct, practical suicide. And we, when he's talking about practical suicide, it's like the, the conversation or their belief practically commits suicide because it can't sustain itself. Right. Uh, sibling rivalry and infanticide. Uh, that's a, that's a super cool concept where people will start stating two things that are very similar, but don't completely agree with each other, but they both, but they say that they're both their view. And then there's other portions like that late that like the witch that he was talking to where she stated an idea and then she immediately killed the idea, which he, which he, which he describes as infanticide. Um, then he, he, he goes through and uh, talks about taking the roof off. And his, his logic there is like any argument that people are trying to build and any justification for their viewpoint are only as good as the walls. And the walls have to hold up the roof. That's the thing that, in, that caps off their argument, right? Or their belief or wh- whatever point they're standing on. Right. And he's like, 
if the walls can't support the roof, then you need to take the roof off and inspect the walls. He's like, most of the time what you'll find is that the walls fall down and there's nothing to hold the roof up. Um, he talked about the uh, the steamroller. Now, the steamroller in, in the book, are, are they're the people that they're just going to push their way and plow their way through the logic that you're trying to present because they have to be right. And he gives some, he gives some like, outs when we encounter those people uh, because uh, his suggestion is when you run into people like that, like, you're never going to win. And it's not not that it's about winning, but you're never going to be able to get anywhere in the argument because they've already pre-made it's up. It's not going to be an effective conversation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he talks about the the Rhodes Scholar people who are so overeducated that they think that they have all the answers, and or then think they're over, and then you can let them and then you can let them hang themselves in their in their overeducated ans- answers. Um, then he goes to he goes to another one called uh, Just the Facts, ma'am. And uh, I love that portion of it because I, I'm I'm like the fact guy. And I, I love the fact that the fact of the facts that um, so many facts. He, he presents it in a way that like people can make these moronic claims based upon what they think are facts. And they're not really. And you have to get people to stick to the facts that are tangible, not just their own belief. Right. When they say things like, well, I feel like, or I think, or, yep. yeah, okay, well, I, I can, I, I feel like this couch is too rough, but you may feel that it's yeah. just the right texture, right? Like, when, yeah, you can't, you can't, you can't hang a position on something subjective. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and then he, he also put, he, and then the one of the last ones he does is, is uh, more sweat and less blood. He's like, the, the blood is already completely sufficient. Christ came and did the work that he needed to do. What we need to do is get out there and labor in this and figure out how to get the gospel out more effectively. And maybe some of the tactics that we've been educated on previously in our lives are not the tactics that are going to carry us into the next few decades. Uh, and this book isn't, isn't super old. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty new. It's pretty modern. Um, even though the concepts in it are not, it's just the way that he phrases it. So... I'm just going to pick out some highlights and we can go ahead and discuss them. I've got like this book in front of me with all like these marks and stuff written on the marks. Like but, 30 tabs in this book. Yeah, <laughs> I like emptied out all of the tabs that I had left and um, most of them were actually already in here because I had bookmarked them before. So one of the first things he says is uh, in the tac- the Columbo tactic, right? Um he, he speaks specifically of the Luke 20, verse 4, where he says, show me a, a coin, right, whose, whose superscription is on it. He does another one where he, he says in Luke 24, um, was the baptism of John from heaven or was it from men? Right. These are all questions that Jesus asked, right? Uh, which is easier to say to that lame of the palsy, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise, take up your pallet and walk? And th- these are all the questions that, like, Jesus asked, and he rolls that into um, that there are three basic ways to use this tactic, right? Like, each one of them are, are launched with a different type of question. And the first one is, what do you mean by that? So one of the key things in that, in the what he started asking the witch, right, when he asked her, is that star a religious symbol? That was just a variation of what do you mean by that, right? Right. He, 
so you can take that particular phrase and you can roll it into all different things. Like if somebody walks up to you and they're like, hey, aren't you one of those Christians? Well, what do you mean by that? Like, is it, are you saying that because of how I live my life? Or are you saying that because I heard something like, like you heard something about yeah. me? Is it my physical appearance? Yeah, like, like, why, why do I just look yeah. like a Christian? Why because I mean, that's me fantastic. Yeah. I look Christ-like. That's awesome. Um, but that, that's one of those things, or if somebody comes in and sits down like uh, in an office setting, or if, if you're like working in a warehouse and you're you're over in the rack somewhere and somebody comes up to you and they're like, hey, I, I, I was wondering, like, you go to church, right? What do you mean by that? But we automatically, like, for me sometimes when people say, well, I go to church, you go to church, right? My typical answer was like, yeah, like I go to church every Sunday, you know, we're, we're in church every time the doors are open. And I immediately like would start talking about myself and how, how Christian I was and how God fearing I was and how much I strive, I I would just strive to be Christ-like when really what they were asking me that for is they were getting ready to like pour their heart out to me. But here I was being a stumbling block because instead of asking why they were asking why I went to church, right? I was assuming they wanted to know something about me. So it's funny, you know, when you talk about some of these tactics, name of the book, but it's named for a reason. Um, you know, in my line of work and, and in my career that I've, you know, been in for about a decade is, you know, I'm, a, I'm a sales guy, been in sales for a long time. And a lot of what's in this book applies to how we interact with people like in yeah. the sales, you know, opportunity mm-hmm. as well you know it's a lot of it's just like you know what you just said made me think of like it's the uh it's it's like we call it the stop sign method it's pretty rudimentary sales tactic right big old stop sign right it's an acronym right it's, it means stop uh you know it, it it means like stop talking and pull out your pen because you can definitely talk your way out of a cell you can definitely get in the way yeah. Right. And same thing is true here. Right. I mean, you start pouring out your life story and what's happening in your life, although it might be great. But what if this person was trying to open up to you and what they needed to hear was, yeah, like, what, like, well, yeah, I, I do. But like, what do you mean? <clears throat> right. They, they needed some kind. They, they needed an affirmation that they could trust you. Yeah. But instead, you, you gave them <laughs> your life story and now they're at the time's gone. Yeah. That 10 minutes that you could have, like, helped you know, let, allowed the Holy Spirit to lead you to helping them with whatever they had approached you and that why they were asking you about that, you've completely misinterpreted the situation. Yep. And now you have, you've lost, like you said, that opportunity to have another opportunity. Right. You know what I mean? Oh, if every time I'm going to go talk to Tom, he's going to talk about, you know, how, how religious he is, then I'll, I'll find somebody else to talk to about. Or if that's how Christian, if that's what Christians are really like, I don't want to have nothing, anything to do with it. Right. Um, so there's there's a bunch of different reasons why he says um, why we should ask what do you mean by that and sometimes it's because like again we we assume why people might be asking the question but if we're confused about why they're asking the question they may be confused too um, when people ask me a question ask questions like uh, do you really think that like there's a god. My brain, right, 
immediately starts going into, well, logically, I'm pretty sure I can explain why there's a God. Let me pull out my Bible that they don't believe in in the first place right, right. and start explaining to them why there has to be a God, right? Instead of asking, like, maybe they're not asking me to prove that there's a God. Maybe they're asking me what the logic behind me having to believe that there's a God yeah. is. Um, so there, there's, there's all these cool little things that he points out to just ask the question. As Christians, we really need to stop assuming that just because we have the answer to people's spiritual problems, that people are specifically looking for the answer to their spiritual problems yeah, or, when they're asking a question. Right, or ready at that instance to hear it. Yeah. I yep. mean, like, there, I mean, hey, God's hands all over the situation, right? It's not us that saves them. We're just, we're just messengers, but we need to be effective messengers. And, that, and that's where I think a lot of this book comes in. Like, hey, these are the tactics that, that we've seen, right? Whether it's, hey, stop. That acronym, by the way, I remember what it is. It's, it's stop, take out pen. That's what it is. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's because funny. I actually remember that from selling yeah. cars now, yep. now that you say yep. that. It's like, yeah. it's, it's over. Like, you've, you've made the sell. Stop talking. But uh, yeah, no, a lot of it, I think, especially in today's age, a lot of people are just, they're hurting. They're looking for answers. They're looking for reason. And... Um, just, yeah, like you said, just some qualifying questions. Hey, like, what do you mean by that? Like, you know, it's something, you know, something that kind of just reminded me of Tom is, I don't know if you, if you do this with your wife, but I've started doing this with, with Haley is she comes to me and starts complaining or venting about something. I'll stop her almost immediately and say, Hey, just, just so I know what kind of conversations is, do you want a solution to this problem or do you just need to vent? Right. Yeah, that's good. Because the fact that you've gotten to that that early in your in your marriage is, is pretty decent. Well, I, I yeah. Well, the part of it's just like as as a man and as okay. a head of my household, like if there's an issue, like let's go, let's get the car right now, we'll, let's go fix it. I'll talk mm-hmm. to whoever. Yeah, I'll, talk, I'll call yeah. whoever. Right. Like let's fix the problem. Right. Um, but if that's not what you need, if you just need someone to just talk you through it, talk through the lo- sure. the logic behind it, or just someone to shut up and just listen to you, I need to know that because right. that's not that's not my first gear. My first gear is let's go rectify this problem right now. So, yeah, I think, that, again, an, another example of how it can work here, too. Yeah. Well, I, I think I think that's a perfect example. That's just another way to say, what do you mean by that? Exactly. Right? You know what I mean? Yep. Um, well, it's funny that you mentioned wife, though. I'll, I'll take one of the things that he says in here. He's like, there are times when discretion is the better part of valor. If your wife calls you an idiot, don't ask, what do you mean by that? <laughs> I got to clarify. What do you mean by that? Um, one of the cool things I think he says uh, from what do you mean by that is a lot of times people when you ask people that, they'll leave you a blank stare. They're not prepared. like Because if people know you're a Christian and they come and ask you some questions, they may be prepared for you to Im- immediately go on the defensive and start defending. Whereas if you come back with a question like, what do you mean by that? It's disarming, Yep. right? And because it's disarming, it may catch them off guard, which may soften their entire approach, which allows you to have a much softer approach in how you answer. Um, There's... There's sometimes, he says, where uh, he got asked one time, reincarnation was originally part of Christian teaching, but was taken out of the Bible in the 4th century. Interesting. And then when you ask them, right, what do you mean by that? Then they would go into... what. What do you mean? What do I mean by that? Like history dictates blah, 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 blah. 
And he said that one of the responses that he was able to give is how does someone remove selected lines of text from tens of thousands of handwritten documents that have been circulating around the Mediterranean region for over 300 years? With no record of that happening. With no, with no continuing record of any of the original right. documents, like right. somehow nothing slipped through the cracks? And if that is true, that's a miracle, which points even more yeah. to the existence yeah, of how that happened. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he he goes through, and then he he goes on to uh, one of the second questions of a different question, a tactic that you can use in the in what he calls the Columbo. How did you come to that conclusion? Uh, one of the I think one of my favorite stories that he tells in here um, when people come to a conclusion, what the questions that he asks when, after he asks that is when they give an answer, what you have to look at is, is their answer possible? Is it plausible? And is it probable? Cause so when something's possible, um, that means the realm of human thought right, can grasp a hold of it. Right. Whereas something being plausible means is it reasonable to think that something might have taken place given the evidence? Right, and that's the key word, right? Because many things are possible right. that aren't plausible. Um, and then the the last one, is it probable is is it the best explanation considering the competing options? So when you ask people that that alternative question, how did you come to that conclusion? And they start listing off like, well, this experience in my life, uh, it just I, I came to the conclusion that if there was this thing that existed, then it, it just it just couldn't be for me. Well, is that is that possible? Like, is it possible that someone else could have had a competing? or different experience that would have led them to think in the other direction? Well, I mean, I guess that's possible. I mean, obviously, you know what I mean? And just asking those questions, like, I'm not saying, well, you're, I can't believe that you don't believe in God. Let me show you in the Bible how creation points to God. That, that doesn't mean anything to them personally yet. But instead, by asking those questions, how did you come to that conclusion? Now I'm finding out more about how they built their anti-belief system instead of just going into and saying, well, you're wrong. Yeah. Um, you know, Tom, this kind of reminds me of another, I'm sorry to go back to this, but like another thing that, you know, I've learned in my career where you have to find the objection. You have to find the main objection in a lot of these conversations. Um, you know, the questions get to know them better learn about why they hold this position because you don't know who you're talking to all the time. You don't know what experiences they've had in their life that's led them to where they're at now. Right. So getting to know a little bit about their background, a little bit about why they believe what they, what they believe a lot of times will make them defend their own faith. Yep. And to be fair and to be honest, not a lot of people, even within Christianity, but give any faith and any belief system aren't really prepared to do that. Yeah, they just aren't. So, and I'm not saying, hey, that's hey, we got gotcha. you. That's that's not a, that's not a gotcha moment. 
No. But it makes it easier to have these non-confrontational just conversations with, with unbelievers, right? It, it allows you to kind of break it on their life a little bit and be that trusted source of whatever it is, whatever they need, right? And that, I think I think that's a big tenet of it. It's just, hey, it's not going to be, hey, we're going to sit down for hours and we're going to go through everything on the first time, right? It, it might take 12 sessions. You might be the only time. I don't, we do, you don't know. And we've talked about this before, right? Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure we'll get to it. But for me in my life, my witnessing life, as a sales guy, it's hard for me to turn off that side of my brain once we get kind of engaged in discourse. Because mm-hmm. in me, it's like I have to make this sell. Yeah. I have to get to the close, and I have to make them close. It's it's very easy for me to connect those dots and say, okay, how do I maneuver this conversation where, you know, we get to a point where I can share the gospel effective enough where they have this breakthrough and it's right. this prayer and they're crying. The Holy and, Spirit knocks down the door of their yeah, heart and, and there's just, angels singing yeah, and yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah like less than one percent that's probably going to happen right it's really about how can you be the most effective in the time that you have and a lot of the time it's not hey i'm going to break down the door of their heart with biblical truth that they don't even believe in yeah no it's hey like let's establish that i'm someone you can trust that this this isn't transactional like i i i sincerely care about you and this is why and yeah, those probing questions get really get down to the bottom of it, because again, you're putting the burden burden of proof on them. Uh, there's a another book that I read recently that actually I think addresses that point really well. I, I actually just finished it. I don't I think it's called Halftime. I think that it, it's it is called Halftime, but I think the author is Bob Buford. And one of the things he says in there ties in directly to this book, where he's like, you know, in the parable of the sower. The sower is never depicted as going around and selecting the ground that he was throwing the seed on. The entire parable of the sower was he he had a job. His job was to sow seed. And he went and he threw out the seed. Yeah, everywhere. Everywhere he went. Like he was just walking along and no matter where he was, he was throwing out seed. And he'd walk five steps and he'd throw out more seed. It didn't matter to him what the ground looked like. His job was to throw out the seed. And I think sometimes as Christian, we think that like we have to search out that really good ground. We've got to find that real where we fertile. Where we know yep. that the seed is going to take hold. And we know that the seed is going to just get all the water that it needs and the sunlight that it needs. You know what it's that does grow though, Tom? into a pretty, pretty plant. When you search out that kind of soil... When you're trying to witness, yeah. The other side of that coin is you're neglecting the hard, the, the rocky yep. soil, the one, the, the stuff that you look at. and You're like, oh, it's not nothing could possibly grow there, right? I don't, I don't know if Christians we 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 think about the other side of that is like, yes, there's there's gonna be times where you have major wins, and if if you've never personally, if, if anyone's listening to this and has never personally led someone to Christ, it, it will change your life. And, and I pray that it happens for you. Amen. But not every single conversation you have with an unbeliever is going to be a home run. Yeah. It's not the way it's going to happen. Sometimes it takes time. Sometimes it takes you planting the seed on some rough, rocky ground, and it takes years of other people and the Holy Spirit breaking that down and, and, it, and it falling into cracks and it, and it finding somewhere where it could grow. Mm-hmm. 
you might just be a, 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 a small part of this puzzle that, that, that the Holy Spirit is using in that person's life. It's, it's hard sometimes to sit down and, and really accept that and right. say, it's not my job to make sure this person is saved. It is my job to plant the seed. Well, and one of the other cool things about that parable is it doesn't even say that he moved. Oh, yeah. It yeah. just says that he threw out seed and some of it fell on all these different types of ground, right? Like, for all we know, it could have been the same patch of ground. It could have been one patch of ground, right? But as he threw the seed within that patch of ground, there was some rocky soil, there was some shallow soil, there was some good soil. We don't know what it's going to hit. Right. But if, we're, if we only look for the parts that it's all good soil... Are we going to miss that one little bitty square inch patch of good soil in the middle of all the bad soil? And because we ignored that patch with because of all the bad soil that was around it, so that one little patch of good soil is probably not going to be any good. Well, now that, that seed doesn't get planted. Right. And we're and being it's selective. it's never going to grow. Yep. And it's not, it's not our gospel to hang on to like that. That's a heavy weight. Like if you think, I mean, think think about it. I mean, like, think about like, I mean, if that's what you believe, I mean, like, friend, I, I, I implore you, like, hey, like, that's take you can take that burden off your shoulders. Like, it's you're not saving anybody. I, 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 I'm not responsible for that. You know, I'm. Thank God, I'm not. I'd be terrible at it. (laughs) Right, my my job is just to to stand and throw seed everywhere. Yep, to spill Jesus everywhere. It's like those uh those, those grass planters. The, the wheel-driven ones yeah. that have, like, the spinner. Yep. Like, that that's all we're supposed to do. We're just supposed to drive it along and throw the seed out everywhere yeah. we go. You know, and sometimes maybe your route's in the middle of the street. <laughs> you forgot to close the gate. <laughs> Whatever it is. But then there's that one there's that one place in the middle of the street, yeah. right, where that stuff's coming. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, think that's, I think it's great to think about it like that because um, we, we really just using these kind of tactics – will allow you to like learn a little bit more about the soil that you're working in. But it doesn't mean that you're supposed to select it. You should already be in the process of throwing the seed. Right. And then you can learn more about the soil that the seed has now fallen on, but don't learn about the soil before you try to plant the seed. Or like even in the example he gave early on in the book about the Wiccan, right? I mean, I would classify that as pretty rocky soil, right? right. Um, he didn't shy away from it. He wasn't selective, right? He, I mean, he challenged her on what she was wearing, what she believed. Um, they got on a, a, a discussion about abortion right there, you know, yeah. uh, at the shop. So it's it's not something that, uh, you know, he was selective all at all about. And and I think I think it's dangerous, right? When when we play that role, I mean, being selective in that kind. I mean, it's not our job. We don't have to worry about discerning like that. I think one of the cool things he points out, like this guy, I had never even heard of him until this book, but he's he's been um, he's gotten in these type of question and answer debates with a lot of like very prominent people. One of them is uh, uh, author Deepak Chopra. Okay, yeah. Um, and he was on a he was on a national TV debate with him, and he gets asked, "You're saying that someone who does doesn't believe just like you do are going to hell?" I mean, what do you mean by that, Tom? Honestly, yes, right. Um, 
but he even points out, like, if I answered it directly, yes, people who do not believe in Jesus are going to hell, right? Then immediately that would have, it would have given the person that he was having the discussion with all of the power to make him look bad in front of right. whoever the that, audience was. That was right? the ammunition yeah. that he was fishing for. So what he does is he gives a, a different example. He, he sidesteps it and he he, uh, he used a different strategy. The way that he describes the strategy that he used is by explaining how Jesus is the only way to heaven. And he, he gives an example of he was in a at a book signing at like a a books at a Barnes and Nobles, and somebody comes up to him who was a who was Jewish by faith, and he thought that because he believed in God, and abided by a moral code, that he didn't understand why Jesus had to be part of that equation, and immediately what what. Uh, Greg Kokel does is he says, well, let me ask you a question then. Do you think people who commit moral crimes ought to be punished? So that's his, what, what do you mean by that, right? Right. Right. Or, or it could also be part of how did you come to that conclusion? It's a little, little bit of both. Yeah, it's a little yeah, bit yeah, of yeah, both. But he's like, and see, that's the cool thing too when we get to it is like practicing these things so that you're, you have like a mindset. Uh, we, were, we were talking a little bit before about, before we started the podcast about... Um, practicing in other portions of our life and like making muscle memory. I think as Christians, we don't practice this kind of stuff enough. If we did, we would be more prepared. It would be more natural for us to ask questions and, and present questions and formulate questions to our specific audience when those things come up. Well, the guy answers him. He's like, he, the guy answers that he's a he's an attorney. He's a prosecuting attorney, so he definitely believes that people should pay for crimes against morality. Right. And uh, Greg Kokel answers. So then, my second question would be: Have you ever committed any moral crimes? And he said that the guy was like, "Well, I guess I have." And he automat he immediately answers, "You know, so have I," because he he's being honest. And he explains how that puts them in a tight spot because they both believed that people did bad things and should be punished and both believe that we're guilty. And he goes on and he says in, in just 60 seconds, he had accomplished a remarkable thing with his two questions. He didn't have to convince the guy that he was a sinner. The guy was telling him yeah. that he was a sinner. And he didn't have to convince him that he deserved to be punished the guy had told him, yeah, I deserve to be punished. And what he does is he's, he leads the guy to, this is why Jesus is necessary. This is where he comes in. We're guilty. That's a problem. But God offers a solution. Being an attorney, you understand that this, the concept of a pardon, right? And he's like, he personally paid that penalty and took the punishment for all of our crimes so that we would never have to. So either we take that pardon and we go free, or we don't, and we take the punishment. And all he had done was ask questions. And um, he goes on to, he, he bounces off of that and goes straight into another story where he's talking to like a college student about... Uh, Christianity and how she could talk to her friends about um, 
being a Christian. And one of the conversational pieces that he uses is, um, why does why do we need to become Christians? Well, how do you how do you explain that in a question format, right? Um, and he goes into she she obviously answers. Well, Jesus saves us. Like that's why we're Christians because we're saved, so we can be Christ like. And so, well, he saves us from what? He saves us from our sins. Well, so you would say maybe that we have a spiritual disease that needs to be cured. Well, can simply believing in God heal that? Well, that's like saying like, okay, you, you, you've been kind of sick here the past couple of weeks, right? Does, does simply believing that there's a doctor that you could go see that may be able to give you the cure for that, does simply believing that that doctor exists automatically give you the cure for it? No, <laughs> you know, what I mean? like you have to make, you have to pick up the phone, you have to make an appointment, you have to go and get the medicine that right, you need right. to be well, right? And I love how he breaks down those two separate concepts where he's having two different conversations about the exact same thing, and it's very much like Paul said that he became all things to to all people, right, so that he could win some. I think we get in this mentality that like when we present the gospel, it has to be the way that we see it in the Bible. But the gospel is so, while it has the same message, it's presented in so many different ways in the Bible. It's very versatile. You know what I mean? Like you look at throughout the whole Old Testament, the gospel is presented in the entirety of the Old Testament. The fall of man. The gospel's presented there. There was an issue. God made a promise of deliverance. You look at Abraham and Isaac, right? Uh, They were up on the hill. There was an issue. There was a sacrifice that was going to happen. Someone was going to have to pay, right? And God stopped and provided a lamb. The story of the gospel is woven throughout the entire Bible, but it's not presented in just one form. And I think sometimes we get to a point as Christians where we we think that we have to always present... um, Sinner, Jesus, salvation, right? But just like he led that guy to the moral question, sometimes it's just you don't have to use the word sinner necessarily to get people to admit that they're guilty. Right. And I love how he goes, but we unless we ask the right questions... We're never going to know whether we, we should present the sinner portion, right? Or whether we should present the punishment portion or the morality question. If we just always attack everything the same way, we're, we're, not, we're not being very effective at sharing the gospel. Um, oh, there's so much, but I don't want to go too long here. I'll, I'm going to grab a couple of more little... Uh, one of the things that I think is very relevant to like what's going on today is the intolerance question, right? Oh, yeah, and, here we go. Uh, I, I thought I thought this was really good. He gets in a. The next time someone asks us as Christians, right, or says to us, right, makes an accusation, um, well, you're just intolerant. What do you think the response would be if we were just? Like, well, what do you mean by that? He goes through this scenario, right? And he's, he's not really had this conversation, but he, he goes through this scenario 
um, you're intolerant. What do you mean by that? Why would you consider me an intolerant person? Well, it's clear that you think you're right and everyone who disagrees with you is wrong. Well, I, I mean, I would have to agree with him. Like, yeah, I guess I, guess I think that my, my views are correct. And I mean, it's, it is possible that we could be mistaken, but in this case, I don't think I am. But what about you? You seem to be disagreeing with me. Do you think your own views are right? <laughs> and he's just asked a question again, right? Well, the person's going to answer, well, obviously I'm right, but I'm not intolerant. You are. And then he goes on like, well, that's the part that confuses me. Why is it when I think I'm right, I'm intolerant, but when you think you're right, you're just right? What am I missing? And those two things is those the the beginning of that phrase or paragraph and the end of that paragraph, that's the part that confuses me and what am I missing? Those are those are two other tactics that he uses when somebody presents a point that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense from a practical standpoint or a logical standpoint. Um, uh, when somebody makes a claim like the the like that one lady did about the um, Bible having the uh, reincarnation part taken out of it, right? Another thing you could have been you, that he could have asked was, well, that's that's confusing. How would you explain that that happened, or how would you see that that happened? Um, he goes he goes through a couple of other ones where he's like, well, have you where when we're trying when someone presents a viewpoint, um, you could ask, well, have you considered this alternative viewpoint? Or when we're trying to for clarity on something after we've started the initial questions, can you clear this up for me? Or can you help me understand this? Uh, it's a very powerful tool. Um, I've always kind of referred to it. It's just like asking for help within a conversation. Mm -hmm. You don't necessarily need it, but you're building a certain level of trust right. by saying, hey, I, I am sincerely interested in what you're saying and, and trying to comprehend what you're saying. So we can have a discourse. Elaborate, please, so we can have that discourse. Um, and if a person is willing to get to that level where you're both calmly mm -hmm. having that conversation where they're they're willing to dive deep into what they believe and explain to you what they believe in detail, if you if you if you're asking for clarification and they give it to you, yeah, you're in a pretty good spot. Yeah. Because you're because they they they've given you enough time and respect to do that. And I would say I mean, at least over 50% of the time, you should be able to reciprocate that. And hopefully they would give you the same courtesy. Um, to that point specifically, he, he talks about a specific engagement that he had with a, with a waitress. Um, this will probably be like the last full example that I give. But I... I loved this one and I wanted to specifically call this one out. So he, he's at, he's sitting at a restaurant, right? And, uh, they, he starts talking with this waitress who's, who's serving him and they get on the subject of spirituality. Um, and he, he just randomly mentioned how some, uh, religious beliefs seemed like really foolish to him. And she immediately says, well, that that's oppressive. Not letting people believe what they want to believe. Which immediately, like, as soon as I read that for the first time after already being, like, halfway through the book, I was like, wait a second. She just said that it's oppressive for 
him not letting people believe what they want to believe. And then he, he gets to the same place that I get at the end. Right. And he, so he asks her like, well, what do you think I'm wrong? And she's like, well, I'm, I'm not, I'm not just saying you're, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm, I'm just trying to understand like what you're saying. Right. Um, and his, his point was that it was okay if she thought that he was wrong, but if he, if she didn't think that he was wrong, then why was she correcting him? Because you only correct someone and try to change their mentality if you think they're wrong. And she didn't have like an answer. She's like, and he was like, well, isn't that a being oppressive then? And she didn't have an answer. And the, the reason why he gives this entire thing is because when you present people with enough questions, at some point they usually run out of an answer. And then instead of going further down that road, they'll shift focus. Right. And what she does is all religions are basically the same after all. Now we're not even talking about the same thing. And so him being him, right? He's like, oh, really? How are they all the same? And she goes into like, well, they all believe in a God and they all say that you have to do something to get to the next place. And most of them say that there's a bad place that you go if you don't do this thing. And his point was, well, and he uses the whole consider this thing, right? And he's like, either Jesus is Messiah or he isn't. Well, if he isn't Messiah, then the Christians are wrong and the Jews are right. If he is Messiah then the Jews are wrong and the Christians are right. So one way or the other, one of those two religions yeah, are right or one be of right. them are wrong, right? Right, right. So, and he's like, so under no circumstances can they both be quote unquote basically the same. And so then she pivots again. Well, no one can really ever know the truth about religion. <laughs> and so he just... He asks, like, well, why would you believe something like that? And she couldn't do it again, right? Because he he was he wasn't just accepting what she was saying, he was asking for justification for her belief. And he I think a lot of times, and I I love this. This is this is probably my favorite scenario in the book. One of the things that he keeps saying in the book itself is when people can't come up with an answer or they don't have an answer for his questions. He just sits and waits. That is so difficult. Yeah. To, to let the silence speak. To just let them very difficult. Yeah. Let them sit there and formulate and set, let them sit there and ruminate and marinate on all of the things that they want to say. And instead of, because a lot of times what I'll get in the habit of doing is throwing out multiple choice, right? Like, well, are you saying that because of this? Are you saying that because of this? Are you saying that because of this? Which then makes me argumentative because right. they're just, they're like, well, no, that's not what I mean. No, that's not what I mean. You, you don't even understand where I'm coming from. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or like doubling down. So like you said something and they're pondering it. They're trying to mm -hmm. pivot or whatever. But instead of letting them come to the conclusion that you're, you're trying to let, let them come to, you like you say something else to fill the silence that reinforces your original statement right. when it's just it's just not needed which which then makes me seem like I'm trying to right. prove that I'm right right 
and I'm right because you can't come up with an answer. Yeah. Uh, well, it's also and it's also kind of a little argumentative. It's also a little showboaty if you really get down to it, right? Because you're because you're just it's adding insult to injury. It's like, see, I yeah. knew you were wrong. Yeah, it's just it's not it's not the objective, right? And like as we close, I think you know something that we you, you kind of alluded to it a few minutes ago, kind of what we talked about before we started recording. Is you know when when you talk about like a book like this or a topic like this, you kind of get down to, okay, but like you know that's great, but like why? Like why why is it important as Christians today to be equipped, as such, right? And I think we kind of, it's funny we kind of talked about it when we weren't even recording, but you know if you if you're training for something, and and you need to be proficient at it, whether it be you know, we were talking about self-defense and home defense, but it could be anything, anything that you're passionate about and that you're training for, that um, when it's go time, when you need to execute that thing, you can rely on your training and it becomes second nature. It's not you stumbling. You're, you're better at that thing, right? That's the point, right? We've said it about 100 times this podcast. We're not the ones doing the saving, yeah, right? We don't have that burden. Thank God we don't have that burden. But there's nothing in there's nothing in scripture. There, there's nothing out there that says, "Hey, like you can be you can be a mediocre messenger." Like, no, we should be proficient. We should be experts. It's it's the one thing we can be. Yeah. I don't want I don't want that responsibility to to do the saving work. That's not that's not what I want. Right. But what I do want is I want to be excellent in how I manage that conversation, that relationship. How I how I am the messenger. I want to be proficient, just like <clears throat> whether it's you know with a weapon or home defense, or if you're uh, an athlete or you have some kind of talent, a musician. You need to put in the time, yeah, to be proficient at that. It takes time. It really does. And I mean, as a Christian, I mean, can can you Tom? Can, can you think of something else that's better use of your time? Oh no! I actually think that as Christians, we should sit and like role play and do this stuff. I was actually going to say that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like because then it'll and and do it and do it alternatingly, right? Like one time we'll we'll sit in a room and we'll have you be the person that has a certain belief, right? And then I'll be the person that's that's the Christian that's trying to witness. And then we flip that the next time we get together. But you're right. I don't understand why we think it's like like. We, we go to, people go to the gym, right? Why do you go to the gym? Because I want to be healthy. Well, you can be healthy without going to the gym. Well, I, w- I want to do a little extra. I want to be, pr- I want to, I want to make my body look a certain way or I want to yeah. be fit or I, I don't want to have to worry about, you know, my cholesterol get going through the roof because, you know, I like to have a donut every now and then. And so I go work out yeah, so that I can goal. work the donut. Yeah, there's yeah. a there's goal, right? But so why are you building your body up that way? Why, why do you care about that? Because it's something that matters, right? Well, your body's only temporary. One of these days, it's going to rot away in the ground. And so, sure, you may be super fit right now. But we're putting time and effort into those things. But yet, we're not going and we're not practicing our witnessing skills. We're not practicing and becoming, like you said, proficient at sharing the gospel with people. But that has an eternal impact. Yeah. Like we're not flexing our spiritual muscles enough. We're not doing anything to build up those spiritual muscles. We we seem to think that um, going to church 
listening to a message on Sunday, glorifying God on Sunday, that's our trip to the gym. Well, that's like saying just walking into the gym is like working out. Or driving past it and waving at it. Yeah. Yeah. Because don't get me wrong, when we're sitting here and we're listening to a message, where that I would say is more like taking the 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 dietary supplement, right? It feeds those those nutrients into our body so that we have spiritual muscles to flex. But then we walk out of church every Sunday, every Wednesday night, and we don't do anything to build those muscles up. And then when we're hit with an onslaught of someone who is aggressively attacking our faith, instead of being able to lift that weight, we're these puny, like spiritually anemic Christians who can't lift the Bible up. Yeah. but I, I think that's a great comparison. Uh, so there's the things that he hits is like telling the truth. He hits. He, there's another whole section on abortion that he hits really hard. There's a section on homosexuality that he hits really hard. I think if I were going to close, um, there there is one thing: the the steamroller who doesn't give you an opportunity to argue your point or to get through your point or to ask the question. Um, he's got a couple of points on what to do when the argument doesn't work. And he's got three very important things uh, that I wanted to call out. Cause I think if you, if there's, there's like two more things I think we can get out of it. Um, step one, if you're talking to somebody who's a steamroller who doesn't want to hear your opinion at all and is only interested in forcing his, his or her opinion on you, he says the first step is to stop them. It doesn't matter what you do. Just stop their onslaught. Yeah, you got to put them in a chokehold. Be nice. One of the things that he, <laughs> one of the things that he propagates in this in this book is like to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Right? Mm. Like stop him tactically. Don't let him. Don't let him or her run the conversation. He says step two, shame shame this person. Not like ha 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 shame, but like make them feel like the way that they're attacking you is not appropriate to the conversation you were trying to have. Um, and then he said, and then he says, step three, walk away. Yeah. Like there's nothing that says you have to stay there and engage with that person. So if step one and two don't work, just walk away. Cause no, there's some, there's some conversations that you're not going to be able to recoup. Oh, absolutely. Well, and that's kind of what like goes back to what I was saying, Tom is if they're not willing to give you the time of day, if they're not willing to be, respectful enough to have a discourse you're i hate to say it, but you're, you're wasting your breath yeah i mean if, if they're not even willing to hear you move on brother i mean you ha- move on i For mean sure. it's you're, you're literally wasting your breath and it's it's unfortunate we see it a ton in in, in the political a political sphere we see it a ton um i mean just when discourse dies that's when violence happens that's when bad things start to happen. Remove yourself from the situation. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to have a mean, meaningful conversation. Well, there's even a point in time where uh, one of my favorite passages in the Bible is where, like, they're they're pushing Jesus and they take him outside because they didn't like what he was saying. And he was, he was just asking questions, right? Just yep. asking questions like, well, why are you saying this? Do you, you're saying that I'm 
being blasphemous because I say that I'm the son of God, but, and he starts quoting verses at them, right? Um, and they, they get so, they get so riled up that they like take him outside of the city and Jesus was no longer there. So like even Jesus knew when to walk away, right? Right. Like, could he have called, could he have just spoken and everybody just died? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. We don't have that power. So Jesus, what Jesus did is in the moment he limited himself to whatever a human being could normally do, right? With still all of his 100% God power, which is just super cool. Um, and he he was no longer there. He he left. Um, and I think we should, we should get good at the art of gracefully walking away instead of leaving ourselves in the situation where we're just going to be berated and we're not actually going to have an opportunity to share the gospel. Yeah, no, I, I think there's a certain point in any, in any conversation that it can turn south and you kind of have to say like, hey, have we crossed this line where this is no longer profitable? And getting to a point where you can say, and you're comfortable to saying, hey, I don't think we're going to see eye to eye here and I, hey, I wish you the best. I call you to repentance, but hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to head out. Right. Um, is perfectly acceptable. And that might just be, hey, like what I said earlier, that might be your seed. That might be what you can contribute that time. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many people they've had walk away from a conversation like that, but that might be what they needed. Yeah. Right? I mean, it, it's a perfectly acceptable thing to do when you're in that situation. Um. So the last thing, there are, there's some... Because he spends the whole book talking about how we should be more like ambassadors. Yeah. And so he, he says that ambassadors have these characteristics. They're ready for an opportunity to represent Christ, right? They're patient, which means that we're not just ready to argue all the time, but we're ready to listen. Yep. We're reasonable, so we don't just give unfounded uh, resources we don't uh, we don't just speak um, Christian speak, you know what I mean? Like uh, if if you're talk, trying to talk to someone who's never heard the gospel before, and you start talking about propitiation, well, that's unreasonable. Like n no no one who no unchurched human being understands propitiation. Right. Um, tactical, and that's what that's those are the kind of the tools that he's tried to provide us is being very selective about how we engage and just instead of just barreling through everything and engaging um, clear by being careful with the type of language that we use fair by being sympathetic to people's points of views honest in that we don't misrepresent someone else's view and we don't try to glorify our view as being necessarily better than theirs, even though we know that it is like, we don't always have to get up on the holier than thou horse. Um, humble in that when we, when we are asked to specifically give our claims that we're able to back them up and that we don't rely on our own understanding, uh, attractive because we act with grace and with good manners, not necessarily that we're like physically attractive because some of us aren't, and that's fine. But we can be attractive with the grace and kindness of Christ. And then dependent because we know that our effectiveness requires us allowing God to work through us instead of trying to work out situations ourselves. Um, so 
if you've never heard of the book before, if you've never thought about the concepts of the book before, man, I would encourage you to read it. It's become a, a great gospel sharing tool uh, for me. And it's, it's allowed me to have some conversations I probably would have never had if I had never looked at it from that perspective. Um, and just all of the points that he backs up biblically, I mean, he uses, again, he uses Paul, he uses uh, Peter, he uses James, he uses Christ most. Yeah. Um, because uh, how, how, as, how awesome yeah, that as Christ a, was a perfect example of yeah, this yeah, all the it, time. It, yeah. Um, but uh, the, the book is called Tactics. It's by Gregory Kokel. That's K O U K L. Um, and while I may not uh, agree uh, with um, everything that he believes doctrinally, I don't know that he's, he doesn't ever mention being a Baptist. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you what, he's solid on salvation and he's solid on our, on our depravity and our stance with Christ. And he presents some really good tools for us to share that with people who don't have him. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I would say um, if anyone's interested in, in reading it, let us know. Um, we can work something out and get it to you. Yeah. Um, we'd love to, to do that. Um, definitely life-changing for sure. I want to leave our listeners with one last thing and then we'll sign off. Okay. The name of the book is Tactics, right? Yeah. Tactics, tactical, um, being strategic in warfare, right? Something as you were, as you were saying, last, last thing you said, Tom, is what kind of got me thinking was, you know, as Christians, we have to accept that there is there is a spiritual warfare going on. That's right. And we take part in that. So I just want to read a couple of verses here, and then we'll be done. But it's uh, it's Ephesians six eleven through twelve, right? And it's and a lot of people go to twelve, right? And they they read it, you know, that we wrestle not with flesh and blood. Uh-huh. But the first word of twelve is four. Yep. So every time, and this is something I've started doing That's recently. Good, every good. time that I see the word four, it's it's a conjunction word. I would I would I would implore our audience every time you see that, go back and read the verse. Really go back until you find a, a noun. Where, where, it sta- where it started, right? <laughs> right, because a lot of that is like Four is wrap-up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But 11 says this, Put on the whole armor of God, Man. that he may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And then you get 12, because four, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Yeah. This book... Is, is very helpful. It gives us ammunition. It gives us uh, hope. It gives us uh, reason and, and strategy, tactics to fight the spiritual warfare. Good. And it's such, it's such a great tool. Um, you know, another thought I had is like, I, I don't want people to take this as like, hey, we, we, we want to teach Christians how to like beat down people with arguments. That's not the point. But the point is to be equipped to be able to handle these right. conversations in love. To be able to challenge people, but still one uphold your testimony, and two build a relationship enough where you can have these tough conversations, because it's not an easy conversation. But you have to be tactful, you have to be ready, and you have to build that skill just like everything else. Yeah. If you would like more information on the book or any of uh, Mr. Kokel's um, other 
offerings, uh, feel free to drop us a line. Uh, if you have a book that you would like to recommend for us to read and maybe discuss at some point in time, um, I, th I think these kind of episodes may be something that we do a little more frequently. I know this is kind of the first one we've ever done as far as a book, kind of a book review, I guess, or uh, an audit of a book. Yeah. Um, uh, let us know if you like it, if you'd like to hear more of it, if you've got a, a, any suggestions. You, we can be reached at podcast at lakeworthbaptist.org. Uh, you can also reach us on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, feel free to comment, like, share uh, the podcast. We we would just we love our listeners. We appreciate your faithfulness. Uh, we would we would love to be able to get the gospel out there and touch more lives. Uh, also, look out in the future for an uh, an additional podcast offering from Lake Worth Baptist Church coming soon. Uh, we're excited about that and about the continuing ministry of this platform and all of our media platforms. So, Yeah, praise God. Good stuff. Well, hey, we appreciate everybody for, for sticking in with us. We really appreciate uh, all the support. And uh, we'll be back here in a couple of weeks with another installment. Thanks, everybody. Have a great couple of weeks.